You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Well, welcome to Just Dance. We are so glad uh, that you are here today uh, in the room in Aaron Arlington at West Falls. We are uh, thrilled that you're there. You're watching online. Thank you. You know, so goes your relationship, so goes your life. So goes your relationship, so goes your life. We've learned that. We've talked about that the past couple weeks. The data supports all of that. That's where we find fulfillment. So we have to do anything we can to build up relationships. And that's something that we want to do here at Grace. We want to do anything we can whatsoever to encourage and to support relationships building. So we're doing this thing called Apps on Us. We've partnered with some area restaurants for some free appetizers. You bring a friend, you meet us at Grace and Five, the app is on us. You pick up a coupon. You bring the same friend every week, the app's on us. You take out your phone right now and you text a friend, say, get here in the next 30 minutes and meet me at Grace and Five. The appetizer's on us. The whole point of this, everybody, is because the data's so clear and the Bible's so clear. The data's so clear and the Bible's so clear that great relationships are the thing that bring fulfillment, the best investment. I said it two weeks ago. It's the best investment we could ever, ever, ever make in our lives according to the data and according to the Bible. So please think about bringing a friend, have an app on us, talk about good, solid relationship principles or maybe something that we do here uh, on Sunday. All right. Uh, you maybe have noticed this, maybe you haven't, but the children's population in this county in Arlington is going up, 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 up. Steady growth. We've seen that here at Grace baby dedications. We dedicated four babies last week. I don't think we've ever, ever done that before. Four babies. West Falls Church, last week you had your first ever baby dedication. Congratulations. It was absolutely awesome. And another one uh, today you just had. So that, that, is, uh, that is also fantastic. Also, Graceland, some of you realize it if you have children in Graceland, uh, but others you might not know this, but we're setting attendance records all the time in Graceland. We're up to 218 right now is our latest attendance record, 218. Well, with all the growth of children in this county, the county needs to build a new elementary school, and uh, they're going to build it. They're going to build it right in the parking lot right out here at TJ. Yes, I've seen the school. Once this is done, I've seen all the plans, the drawings, and pictures, and all this kind. Of, it looks awesome. I mean, really, it is very, very beautiful, and it's just going to enhance everything for us being here. It's going to be a brand new parking lot, and there's, I think there's going to be even a park in the midst. It's gonna, really, it's going to be great. Construction is supposed to start this summer. Okay, sometime this summer. We'll update you as we get closer. So what we will do during the construction phase of the new elementary school is we will park in the three parking lots that run right along that end of the building, which is 2nd Street. There's three parking lots. There's lots and lots of uh, street parking there. And there's even parking that is in some of the side streets there. But there's a lot, a lot of parking down there. And again, we'll update you as we get closer to all of that. Okay. 
today. Dance interrupted. Dance interrupted. Anybody here like to dance? Any dancers in the place? Okay, whoa, whoa. All right. Well, a lot of you are, a lot of you are really into uh, dancing. That's fantastic. I just watched a movie this past week. It's called Trolls. Has anybody seen that animated movie called Trolls? Uh, some of you saying, okay, I watched this movie this past week, you know, called Trolls. And here's the, here's the idea, everybody, behind this movie uh, that's called Trolls. It's about these trolls, they're super happy. Like they're singing all the time and they're hugging all the time and there's happiness is just exuding at them. They're just really, they're just constantly happy. And then there's these monsters. I don't know if they're monsters or not, but they look like monsters and they're called Bergens. Bergen, and the Bergens are unhappy. And the Bergens think that the road to their happy, here's this is really important. You don't even have to watch the movie, I have to tell you this. Okay. <laughs> the road to happiness for them, for the unhappy Bergen, is to eat a super happy troll. Like, if I eat this super happy troll, like, I'll be happy. So in other words, I don't really care about the interest of the troll, you know, because the trolls do not want to be eaten. They make that very clear. Don't eat me. Don't eat me. But the Bergen says, I don't care about you. I got to put me before you. So I'm going to eat you. I'm going to be happy. Right. And then in a defining moment, in the defining moment of this entire movie, the king of the Bergens chooses a path unheard of. He decides not to put himself before the troll. He puts the troll first, puts the interest of the troll first. And he says this. Here's the quote. I'm going to read it because I want to make sure I get it just right. This is what he says. This is the defining moment of the whole thing. My stomach is empty but my heart is full. So, so he, be, he found fulfillment in not self-interest, but in troll interest. So he's, he's putting a troll first and nobody would have, you get, that doesn't work, but he did it and his stomach is empty, but his heart is full. And then you know what happens after that? Justin Timberlake happens after that, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so Justin Timberlake, all of a sudden, boom, he launches into this, into this song. It's really cool. And, and we're going we're gonna to play some bars. I'm going to give you a couple quotes from it, right? Because I, you'll, you'll recognize the song. So uh, help me with this because sometimes our crew back there is reluctant. We want to say, play it, Simone. Will you help me say that? William? One, two, three. Play it, Simone. So play it, Simone. Play it for us. Listen to this. Yeah, jack it up. Okay, so here's, here's what they're talking about. He says, he's got sunshine in his pocket. Not because he got his way, right? But because he got his way. This, well, this guy's really into it. All right, well. Wait a minute. I, uh, oh, man. This is crazy. Easy. Easy now. I've lost control of the whole service. Oh my gosh, man. Oh man. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, let me. Oh yeah. I'm gonna just follow my man. Oh yeah. Heal it. Oh yeah. Oh, whatever. Airplane. Man, man. If you go ahead, if you if you got the feeling, go ahead, get right into it. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Ooh, oh. Woo! Get crazy. Get crazy. Woo! Man. Man, man. What is. Look at my man. Man. Man, it's going to be hard for me to recover after that. Man, shit. Boom, boom. 
Look, man, a bunch of people leaving. Okay, that's it. We've seen it all. So here's the thing, right? Relationships interrupt our lives just like that. For some of you, that freaked you out. You're like, what is going on here? We have this idea that, oh, we're going to get in a relationship with somebody and everything's just going to be so beautiful. And then all of a sudden we realize that the person we're in a relationship with can't dance as well as we thought they could. And they're stepping on our toes and we're stepping on our toes. And here's what we realize, right? Relationships, love, it interrupts our lives. I'd like you to write that down. It's on the back of your bulletin. And at the bottom of the bulletin, there is a reading list. It's not all the books that we've used for this series, but it's just some of them. But if you like to, this is really important. This is an entire point of this message about Dance Interrupted is this. Love interrupts our self-centered lives. This is what we talk about. We say, that person has fallen in love. Oh my gosh, what happened to Joe? What happened to Sally? I don't know. They've fallen in love. We talk about it's like an accident, like they fell in a hole somewhere. What are you doing? Hey, what are you doing on the ground? Oh, no, it's all cool. They fell in love. Right? It's a, right they no, uncontrolled. They didn't have any. They, didn't, they couldn't control it. It just happened. They fell in love by accident. It just happened. They didn't plan it. They didn't plan it at all. They have just fallen in love. Our culture refers to love so often as a feeling. Yeah. I love pizza. I love my spouse. I might love my dog. You know what I'm saying? We love, we talk about love. We refer to it as this feeling constantly. And that's a big problem because the Bible doesn't refer to love as a feeling at all. Matter of fact, it refers to something the exact opposite. You know, in the Bible, when it says that you should love someone, it says, love God and love others. You know who's in the other category that you should love? It's used the same word. It's your friends. Love your friends. Okay, I can love my friends. Love your family. Ah, okay, maybe. Yeah, okay. How about this one? Love your enemies. Ooh. Same word. Same word. That should tell us something right there because I don't feel anything good towards my enemies. I have no feelings towards good, so it's not a feeling. But culture so often says that it is. It's a problem. And if, if, if marriage, everybody, and we know this is true, is built on a foundation of love, right? And so if love is a feeling, then our marriages are built on sand. The Bible says it's not a feeling at all, right? Some of us are thinking in our minds, and sometimes this is supported in churches. Right? You got to find that perfect person. In other words, you have a soulmate that's out there. You know where the idea of a soulmate comes from? The idea of a soulmate, everybody, comes from Greek mythology, not from the Bible. Greek mythology, Zeus. There was one point that you had four arms and four legs and four, all this, right? You had all this, and Zeus decided to cut you in half. And then somewhere out there is your soul. You're looking for your other half, and you, you can just find that other soulmate, perfect half. You are going to be so happy. But the Bible says that when you find your dance partner, what you realize is, is they're as flawed as you were. You couldn't see it when you were dating because the chemistry and the chemicals were just flooding your mind so much. You couldn't see any of it. Everybody else is turning around like shaking their heads. What are you doing? You're like, what? I've fallen and I can't get up, right? You know, I just, I'm in love. I'm in, I'm, I'm in love. The Bible says that your dance partner is just as flawed as you and it, they're going to interrupt your life. I mean, you're dancing away. You think you're going to dance the night away and all of a sudden, bam, right on the toe. And bam. Some of us can't go, don't nod your head on this or say amen, but some of us can't go an hour in our relationships. Some of us can't go an hour in our marriages without severely causing blood to spurt out of somebody else's toe. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? This, this, marriage interrupts 
our lives. Love interrupts our lives. Marriage is filled with interruptions. Love allows our spouse to interrupt us. Colossians chapter 3, right? So Brian and Sandy uh, just read that a few moments here. Uh, West Falls, Lisa and Jen Park just read for you. Fantastic. Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 13, amazing verses about love. So clarifying, so helpful, they'll change our lives. Because in our culture, our culture is going to keep saying that love is a feeling. The Bible is going to keep saying, no, it's not. So what does it say in Colossians chapter 3? It says, clothe yourself in love. It binds everything together in harmony. Clothe yourself. When's the last time you're walking down the street or in your office one day, you're like, oh my gosh, I have clothes on. I can't believe it. I didn't know. They just happened. I have clothes on. No, no. We get up in the morning and we intentionally decide to, we don't like stand up and say, I feel like clothes. No, no, we do the hard work. We put the clothes on. In the Bible, it's very, it's a decision that we make to put clothes on. And when we do, it binds everything else together. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I know because I do weddings quite often. And I'll have people say, oh, whatever we do, we are not having 1 Corinthians 13 in our wedding because that's read everywhere. And I understand the sentiment. And we all want to be original and new. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. It's not specifically about marriage, but it, it is about love. And here's the, here's the thing about 1 Corinthians 13. That'll change your life. Now, if you just apply that chapter to your life, it will change your life. It is what Jesus Christ and Christianity, it's the whole point of everything. Think about what's in there. It says, let me show you. Here's how the whole thing starts. Let me show you the most excellent way. And if you don't have this, you're nothing. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't have this, forget it. Here's the entire, if you, what's Christianity about? This is what it's about right here. And it tells us, says, when you feel the power of impatience stalking you. Anybody felt stalked by impatience? In your marriages, in your romance, does there, is there ever a moment like, oh my gosh, this monster of impatience and it wants me to, ah, right? It says, when you feel the power of impatience beginning to stalk you, that love will come in and interrupt you and say, nope, that's not the way. Whew, man, that's hard. When you feel the lure of rudeness, go ahead and say it. Say it. Say it to her. Say it to him. Be sarcastic. Whatever. Just <clears throat> nail him. Get him back. They said something to you, you don't like, ah, right? When you feel it just lurking, ready to say that thing, be rude. Love comes in and interrupts that train of thought. Love does that. Not feeling. Feeling doesn't come and interrupt that. A decision comes in and says, that's not the way. Love interrupts everything. When I'm dancing towards jealousy and bitterness and negativity, love comes in and disrupts all that. It derails that. Because you've made a decision. To love somebody has absolutely nothing to do with feelings. Love interrupts. Jesus, John 13, really important here. He says, I want to give you a new commandment. New commandment, Jesus? Yes, I'm going to give you a new, new Things that are new are exciting. I have a brand new product on the market, right? These are very, okay. Jesus, when Jesus says he's got something new, this is a big deal, all right? So Jesus, I've got something. I've got something new. Listen up. So everybody crowds in, right? Really quiet. What, Jesus? What are you going to say? Love each other. What? Love each other. I mean, did you study all night last night, Jesus, and that's the best you got? I mean, can you give us a deeper sermon than that? I mean, is that, is that it? Is that, 
new commandment, exciting, world-changing thing. Love each other. Oh, my goodness. This is what Christianity is all about. Now, we talked about this in the beginning of January, right? From the book of Ephesians that we all have a sarks, S-A-R-X, in curvatus inse, that we are curved in upon ourselves and that we will use anything, including God, for our own self-interest. This is that, I just summed up the entire Bible for you and all of Christianity because Christ comes in to dig out that sarks in our life, to dig out that self-interest, and we need his help to do it because we can't just say, I'm going to get it out. We need God's help to put somebody else first. And in our marriages, we really need God's help to do that, to put the interest of our spouse before ourselves. Can you imagine if we lived life that way. Jesus says in John chapter 12, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, this is really important because Jesus says things like this all the time. And maybe you wonder, what does that mean? What does that mean? Jesus, what exactly does that mean? So this is what he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, unless it falls to the ground and it dies and and, and it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And you maybe thought to yourself, Hmm. So the point of Jesus being a follower of Jesus, I just got to go around and like kill myself all the time. I got to be miserable all the time, right? It's, it's about death. Jesus says these things like take up your cross. What does that mean? Deny yourself. What does that mean? What is the point? I want to sum all those, all of those many phrases that Jesus says up for you real quick, okay? Here, all of them. I'm going to answer all of them for you real quick. Here's what it means. It means to be loving. So when Jesus says you got to die, he's saying to be loving because what he's saying is you got to put the interest of others before yourself, right? You got to be loving. You got to put others before yourself. The interest of some, because we're, we're geared to like, I want to do what's good for me, right? You said something to me and now I'm going to, I'm going to up the game because I don't like what you did to me. So I'm going to, right? It just gets worse and worse. And what Jesus is saying is, is to Take up your cross and deny yourself. It's all about denying self-interest. And that is the choice of love. That's the choice that love makes, to put others first, to put the interest of your spouse before yourself, to put the interest of your spouse before yourself. Can you imagine if our marriages were that way? I can only imagine if my marriage was that way. If my marriage was that way all the time, what would it look like? Huh? Oh, no, no. You go first. I want to understand you. No, 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 no. I don't. I'm not dying to be understood and wanting to cut you off at every point. No, no, but, 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 but. No, 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 no. You talk. I had God give me two ears and I just, my ears just love to listen. They just want to hear your perspective. They want to hear what's going on with you. Just, I just fill them up. Fill my ears up. I'm just going to patiently sit here calmly and listen to what you have to say because, you know, I'm preferring you before you know, before me. That's what I want to do. Or how, how about this? Look, I'm sorry. Let me, let me say, I'm, let me, let me say I'm sorry first. No, 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 no. Let me say I'm sorry first. No, 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 no. Let me do. No, no, please let me say I'm sorry first. That's what love does. Can you imagine a marriage like that? Can you imagine a world like that? Would a world be a different place 
If we were always seeking to understand, always looking to be the first to say, I'm sorry, what would it be like, right? No raised voices, no sarcastic jabbing tones, right? Just love. Self-centeredness dies unless, here, this is what Jesus is saying, unless the kernel of wheat falls to ground, unless this grain falls and ground dies. He said, the only way for relationships to work and to go deep is you have to choose love. Now think about it. He's totally true. He says, unless you choose love, you're going to remain, you're going to remain alone. Now we're not just talking about marriage here. We're talking about relationships in general. To the degree that you are willing in any of your relationships, right? Some of you just have casually, what, okay, whatever, doesn't matter. To the degree that you're willing to put love first, to put somebody else first, is the level that you're going to go to in any relationship that you have. Is that not true? Because if you're just all about you, what do you do? You push people away. We talked about this weeks ago with Samson. Samson was all about Samson. And how did he die? All alone. And do you know people like that? And so love is the way to build relationships. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now, here's, what, here's this great, incredible hymn of the early church about Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2. Look what it says. It's, it's awesome. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let me stop right here because I, let's just make it clear. I'm just talking about normal relationships here. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. Just because some of you think, oh, are you telling me that choose love means I got to be a doormat, got to be abused? No, no. Okay, we're not talking about that. We're talking about normal Everyday relationships in general, where we're always fighting to get the word in, and where we say, hey, you say you're sorry, right? You say you're sorry first, and maybe I'll think about it, right? We're talking about that. We're not talking about the other stuff, okay? So here we go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How often do you do that? I mean, you know, I got to tell you, uh, that's difficult for me. There might or might not be somebody who lives in my home with uh, me, who always knows what I'm speaking about, who might or might not have said to me this week, you can't preach on Sunday. <laughs> Let each of you look not only to his own interests, own interests, but also to the interests of others. Oh my gosh, you're kidding me? Have this mind among yourselves. We are just so, we want our way, we want our way. It's that nature that sarks in us, which is yours. Have this same mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You know what this great hymn is saying? It says, Jesus Christ was in heaven. Everything was great. Life was great. Self-interest said, stay there. <laughs> this is good. Stay on the throne. This is great. And love compelled him to put all of his self-interest aside to come down and put your interest before himself. He empties himself. It's the entire point of Christianity. The emptying of yourself. And Jesus Christ will help you to do that. There's this great verse in Proverbs 14. You know, Proverbs is filled with all kinds of tidbits, nuggets, golden nuggets of wisdom. Look at this one. This one fascinates me. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. What in the world? I mean, I know it's a book of wisdom, but what is that about? Oxen. Why are we talking about oxen in a book about wisdom and relationships, right? Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. What is it saying? You've got to have this ox. If you, 
If you want a big harvest, you want to feed your family. Let's get back in the agricultural society. You want to feed your family. You want to feed maybe your whole village. You want to be a blessing. You want to do something great. Then what you're going to need is a big ox. Now, what's the problem with having one of those? Well, it just tells us. Look how it begins. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. You know what that big ox produces? A lot of ox poo. A lot of ox poo. You, look, you want to have a great investment, the greatest investment of your life? You want to build relationships? You're going to have to deal with relational poo. <laughs> yes, there's going to be relational poo. And to the level that you're willing to deal with relational poo, some of us are like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Some of us want to stay alone. or Some of us want to stay, like, I don't want to get married. Why? Because I don't want to deal with the relational, say it with me, poo. We just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the poo, so I'm fine, man. I'll just keep doing my own thing. But the point is, is that the data in the Bible says our fulfillment and our growth in Jesus Christ, being in tune with God, has to do with us dealing with relational, say it, poo. You want a big harvest, then you've got to deal with relational poo. Now, I want to put something out here real quick. Every now and then, I talk about my wife's dog. And I, people, and I'm going to tell you why I bring it up. Because a number of people recently have said this to me, and there is this thought that secretly I love the dog. That's why I talk about the dog. And so I just want to put it out there so everybody knows clearly. I do not like or love the dog. (laughs) I know it's sad. But can I just real quick say something? All right. I like things neat. I like things, I don't like barking. And that dumb dog barks at everything. Squirrels run through the yard. She's barking like crazy. Can't stop her. Jumping all over people. It's dirty. It's messy. It's unclean. And I'm, I might have a touch of OCD. Okay. So, and I just, okay. You follow me? So I don't, I don't like the dog. Right. So what, what is up with that? Our, our dog, my, my wife's dog, uh, um, has a really. Um, Weak stomach, gets sick all the time. Yeah, now I like neat and clean. And I can vividly remember the day I came downstairs and she had had a poop explosion. No, 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 a big explosion. Like it was all over the wall, like. <laughs> and I, I like, oh my God. And I was like seeing all kinds of colors and flashing. This doesn't, some of you, you know what I'm talking about because this kind of stuff bothers you. Others are like, what's wrong with you? Oh, no, oh, man, I was like, <gasps> I was seizing up. And I saw her, and then she started like she was getting ready to go to the bathroom again. I, oh, no. So I ran over, and I picked her up facing away like this. And I started running, and as I do, it's like a fire hose coming out. I was like, I could have sprayed paint. How could a little dog produce that much? It's like a fire. Like, I could have sprayed paint in the whole house. Like, Entire house spray painted. If I like brown, then that's good. But just spray paint. How can that little dog have that much in her? But it's like going and going and going. Um, if love is a feeling, there is no sunshine in my pocket, right? Like love, like Jesus, has left the building for sure. Is out is gone. Right? It's, it's no longer there. Here's the thing you need to know. Uh, I love my wife. I try to love my wife. 
I um, pray that God would help me put uh, love in place in my life, to put her interest, and she really loves that dog. Like, that dog brings her great, great joy. I wish I could bring her that much joy is that <laughs> stupid fire hose, yeah, fire hose of crap, just dog, right? I wish I could, but I can't, right? But she loves the dog. And everything in, one, in me wants to yell and scream. I know this is a silly example, but believe me, <laughs> okay, causes a problem, okay? Uh, I have a choice to make. I can put her interest in front of mine. I can choose love. I can be patient. I cannot make all the rude remarks. I can, because believe me, they were all there, just right there. I can choose. Love is not a feeling. Love is tough. Love is difficult. It's intentional. It's something that we decide to do. It's the emptying of yourself. Philippians chapter 2. It's the emptying of yourself. Now, how do you do that? How do you empty yourself? You know what's fascinating, everybody? 1 Corinthians 13, which talks about, right, the emptying of yourself by choosing patience and not being rude and being forgiving and thinking the best of your spouse. You should read it. It's an amazing chapter, which is a really important point. Great marriages have a common denominator. You think the best, not the worst of your spouse. Just put that in your back pocket and think about that. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. But do you know what precedes 1 Corinthians 13? Being spirit-filled saying, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life because Jesus is going to help you to empty yourself. That's, his whole, that's the whole point of Christianity, to help you empty that sarks, that self-interest. He begins to work. He begins to dig down in our hearts. And how is, what's, what's a spirit-filled person look like? A spirit-filled person, in the Bible at least. We have a lot of idea what that means in the church world. But I'll tell you what it means in the Bible. It means somebody who's choosing love. It means somebody who's choosing patience and kindness. And what's interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, what is preceded by choosing love is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Same thing happens in Ephesians chapter 5. It is the one main marriage chapter in the entire Bible. What's it preceded by? Ephesians 5, 18. Just before we get into living this life, choosing love and honoring our spouse and having a great marriage, it says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. How are you going to do this? God's going to help you do it. By being a follower of Jesus Christ, He will begin to dig down into our hearts and help us to empty ourselves and to choose love. Have you asked Jesus Christ to be the leader of your life? Have you asked Him? This is the entire point of Christianity. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. This is the most basic problem in every marriage. We can tell you lots of things to do, which I'm getting ready to do in just a second, to improve, to light up your marriage a little bit. But if you don't deal with this one, you'll never get there. You have to deal with this one. God, help me to empty myself for my spouse. Did you know that? Did you know that when it says deny yourself, take up your cross, unless a grain of wheat falls, did you realize that what really is being said there is to choose love? It's about the emptying of yourself for somebody else. Now, I want to end with this. Um, and I just want you to kind of say, hmm. I mean, some of us, you know, some of us, we believe in the Bible. Some of us, we believe in Jesus Christ. Some of us are very skeptical. Some of us say, you know what? The Bible is filled of myths. Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. And his followers, direct followers, didn't think he was God. But, you know, a few you know, years later that, you know, people said, oh, no, he's God because, you know, they had this new way and all this kind of stuff like this. Can I just... Like, like Christianity is a man-made religion. Can I just, I want you all to say, hmm. All right, just hmm. I want to go through something here. I'd like you to say, hmm. Jesus changed everything. That's a historical fact. 
Nobody's arguing anymore whether or not Jesus existed or he didn't exist. It's a historical fact that Jesus existed, and it's also a historical fact that Jesus Christ changed the world. That's, tr- that's just clear. That's just historical. That's not Bible. That's just clear. That's just history, plain and simple. Now, I want you to think about this. Ready? Okay. The Bible is full of myths. Christianity is a man-made religion, right? So here we got the Bible comes to us in a male-dominated world that is very misogynistic, very much so, in a world where just about every religion is a fertility cult. And how I get closer to God is I have sex with as many women as I possibly can. That's how I get close to God. Now, that's who do you think thought of that religion? A man or a woman? Yes, right? Men, yes. Self-interest, yes. Hey, honey, I'm going to go get closer to God. I'm going to have sex with 10 other women tonight. You feel good about that? Oh, good. I'm glad you feel great about that. No, because women were property. They were commodities. And then all of a sudden, you have this guy named Moses, and he goes up on this mountain. He says God speaks to him. and gives these two tablets that God, with his very fingers, write these words. And what does God say? God says, have sex with your wife for life. And while you're at it, don't be looking at your neighbor's wife. And in a male-dominated, self-interest world of misogyny, right? All the men around say, oh, we've always wanted to do that. We're so glad that you thought of that. Obviously, a man went up on a mountain and he he, he thought of that. There's no God. And in a male-dominated world, Moses goes up on a mountain. He says, comes back with these tabs and says, have sex with your wife. And every religion... And every practice that a woman is a piece of property and a commodity, he says, no, no, no. This is God speaking. Sex with your wife for life and don't be looking at your neighbor's wife or you're at it. I tell you what, those Bible people were great marketers. <laughs> Jesus comes along and he quadrupled downs on this thing, right? Just, he just ups the game so much farther. And he says, I want you to honor, and he lives this out, honor women. I want you to respect women. I want you to serve. Excuse me? Okay, 2,000 years ago. If you haven't read a lot of history, 2,000 years ago, everybody, women were there to serve men, period. Can't testify in court. They're pieces of property. They're commodities. And Jesus says, you start serving your wife. Excuse me? Have you lost your mind? Do you want this new movement to work or not? Let's start, let's get, when are we going to get to the point with having like a full sexual buffet for men? When are we going to get to that one? Because that's what dominates the world, okay? Honor, respect, serve, listen. And then at the most defining moment of the life of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, Easter Sunday, and a woman can't testify in court because she's a piece of property and have no value whatsoever. In the scriptures, he has women give the testimony that he has risen from the dead. Richard Balkum, who's a scholar, says, you know what? There is absolutely no sense in putting that in there unless maybe it's true. Really respected scholar. Why would you do that? Why would you undermine your own movement before it's even begun? This is stupid. It's lunacy. So I want you to think about this. In a Roman world, where it's the full sexual buffet for men. The full sexual buffet, right, for men. I want you to just imagine this scene. Right, you got Joe and Antonio. And Joe's, Joe's leaving the lifestyle of the sexual buffet because he's going to be a follower of Jesus. And Antonio's like, hey, Joe, 
Where are you going? And Joe's like, hey, man, I'm leaving the sexual buffet because I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to have sex with my wife for life. And I'm going to serve her, and I'm going to honor her. Antonio's like, what? What are you talking about? Why would you do that? Oh, Matt, that, you know what? That's a man-made thought. You know, every guy I know thinks this way. Every guy I know who is radically sexually selfless, right? Right? You know all those. Don't say a word. I know what you're, right? <laughs> man-made religion. <laughs> Can you think of any man that you would have known in that culture who would have come up with this? And then Peter who is the leader of the disciples of Jesus Christ, has the audacity to write, unless husbands, you treat your wives tenderly, lovingly, kindly, and you serve them. If you don't do that, don't bother praying because I'm not listening. In a male-dominated, misogynistic world of a full sexual buffet, here comes Jesus. And he says, honor, serve, love, commit. Now, please, can we just think for a second? Do you really think a man came up with that? You think a bunch of guys got in a room and said, we got this great idea, right? Let's call Jesus God and tell every man that he has to honor, serve, and love his wife and that she's the only sexual, that's it. Can you imagine? Look, if you're here today... And you're like, I, I think the idea of, of women needing to be honored and to be respected and to be loved and not looked at as a commodity or a piece of property, if you like that idea, then you can thank Jesus in the Bible for that. I don't know what you think. I don't know if you this man made, whatever, okay? You can thank because that didn't exist 2,000 years ago until Jesus Christ came on the scene. All right. We're going to end. And I'm asking my man, Chris Landry, to play, play some keys because I want to I send you all out of here because you're all happy right now <laughs> after that. <clears throat> I want to give you five things. I'm going to give you five home runs. This is data. This is from a very, very important study that was done that how can you as a husband hit a home run for your wife and how are you as a wife hit a home run for your husband? This is pure data, big numbers. It's not like, oh, this happens half the time. No, this is like this happens almost all of the time as you do these five simple practices, but you'll never do them consistently or genuinely unless you deal with the biggest problem that we just talked about a minute ago, and that's our own self-interest. But once you deal with that big problem that all marriages go through, here's the five things that you do. Ready? We're going to give them in descending order because all the way the number one thing is the number one thing. Like the numbers are off the charts on this. For him, wives, you say, say to him, you did a great job. Oh, really? Man, you did a great job taking the trash out. Man, that was awesome. <laughs> you did a great job changing the diapers. You did a great job with whatever. Just say you did a great job. You think I'm crazy? Try it try it. And I'm, all of these are simple for you, ladies, because we're very simple. <laughs> they all begin with the word say. Right? Just say these five things you say. Say thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank, oh, you did it. Thank you. Just th thank you. You don't have to get down on your knees and say, oh, holy one, thank you. No, just thank you. Thank you. Say that you've well done. Say you've done well in public. Like publicly say, oh, you, you know what? You know what Harry just did? You know what Jim just did? You know, they did this thing, right? And publicly a public praise. Number two, we're getting all the way to the top. Here's the number two, most important home run that you can make. Say, I want to have sex with you. 
Now, I know that shocks you, but uh, apparently some guys think that's a home run, right? I want to have sex with you. And the most important thing for the home run is say, you make me very happy. You make me very happy. All right, so for her, what can you do? Men, listen up. If your husband's asleep and he, uh, sitting next to your wife, please, elbow right now, wake up. Five things, simple, practical. You can do this, very simple. Pull yourself out of a funk. Wives say that's a home run. Apparently, a lot of guys, we're down a lot. We're, we're Eeyore, right? Pull yourself out of a funk, right? When you come home and you see her at the end of the day, when you, the first, eye, big smile, big smile. Ah, so great to sit. Pull yourself out of a funk. Okay, number four, put your arm around her in public. All right, if you're sitting next to your wife right now, go ahead. Put your arm around her in public. Go, oh, there you go. I saw it. Beautiful. Send her thoughtful texts and emails. Listen, you could say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. Gorgeous. You could say all this. But you could also, in addition to those texts and emails, you could do something thoughtful, right? So my wife was away uh, just a few weeks ago, right? And she knew she left me at home with that dog, right? So you know what I did? I've never done this before. I took a picture of me, a selfie of me holding the dog, like cuddling the dog, sent it to her, and I said, I want you to know I fed the dog, I've walked the dog, and I've held and loved the dog. Send her a text in the middle of the day saying something nice or thoughtful you've done, okay? Number two, tell her how beautiful she is. You're beautiful today. Tell her that. And number one, the number one home run that you could hit, the number one, according to data, according to percentages, is to hold her hand. So if you have your arm around her, take it down, hold her hand right now. Hold, <laughs> hold, hold her hand. Hey, listen, listen. Uh, relationships are at the core of Grace Community Church. It's always been. God loves you. We love you. We want you to have an awesome relationship. And, and, and it's going it, to, relationships, they're going to involve stepping on people's toes from time to time. And that's just the way, that's just the way it works. But we are praying all the time that all of us, me included, would choose love and have our dance interrupted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for relationships. They're a lot of work. It's an intentional decision, but God, give us the strength. Jesus Christ, come into our hearts and dig out that sarks for the glory of God. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.